here we go. We're live, yep, folks. Yeah, what's going on, folks? Of, uh... It's uh, Left on Red coming back at you. Uh, this is our <laughs> second time recording in like four days. It feels weird. Yeah, it. it I was just gonna say, like, I was, <laughs> I was wrapping up, uh, trying to kind of condense the notes and stuff today, and I was thinking to myself, like, <clears throat> didn't we just fucking do this? And <laughs> yeah, we, yeah, we did. <laughs> we just did this like a couple days ago. Yeah. Um, because this past week we recorded later than normal, so. Yeah. Um, here we are again. Yeah. And I have to say, you know what? I'm not mad about it. This is one of my favorite things that I do every week. Oh, yeah, me too, man. I mean, honestly, like, you know, I um, like I worked today, and then I went to the gym, came home, made dinner, then just go right to doing this. Once I'm done with this, I might sit down and watch a movie. I don't know. Who yeah, knows? Dude, just gently masturbate yourself to sleep. I mean, that's what I do. Oh, it's not going to be gentle, bud. I like it rough. <laughs> <laughs> I like to treat myself the way I like to be treated. Yeah, yeah, but just like a bag of bullshit, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you pig, you fucking pig. Yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, you it's, nasty, well, you nasty little bag of bull. It reminds me of a, an anecdote that I learned a long time ago from my okay. my my grandfather, which is that tears are the best lubricant, and the Great. sadder you are, the the harder you get. Yeah. <sighs> Might get edited out in post. <laughs> that, this that is going to be another one cut. of your dad's hey. favorite episodes. That, nah, that might not make the cut. <laughs> yeah, no. It's, <laughs> I'm just, the, the, you know what's funny? This is like probably the thing that I've done like outside of, I don't know, school or work or anything that I'm the most proud of. And so, frankly, yeah. probably it's one of the things that I'm the most proud of because what yeah. do I have to show for any of that? Um, <laughs> and my dad is just like so turned off by our sense of humor. <laughs> Oh, dude, it's the exact opposite. My dad fucking loves this podcast. Like I mean, he thinks th- he thinks you're the funniest son of a bitch on earth. Like my, he, d- my dad likes this podcast too, but he doesn't like hearing me talk about gross stuff because yeah, he's my dad. I, like, I guess I you know. talk about <laughs> masturbation a lot more than I do on air. So maybe yeah, exactly. Like maybe if you were willing to to take a couple for the team, your dad might get a little taste of like, wow, my son sure is talking about his own penis a lot. That's not my <laughs> yeah. favorite. But, um, yeah, no, my, Don doesn't yeah. love it. He doesn't love oh, it yeah. at all. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude, my, my dad loved the JFK episode. He thought you were the funniest part because he's like, me, Ian, and Pat were, like, getting into it and talking about it. He's like, but then fucking Cam, like, every few minutes, he's just like, I hated this fucking movie. <laughs> dude, it sucked so bad. I hated that movie so much. I hated that you made me do it. I hated that you made me watch it. <laughs> yeah, dude. I, it was so bad. I will say, I was, I felt really vindicated once Ian was like, you know, this movie sucks. And I was yeah. like, okay, cool. All right, so I'm glad that you guys are willing to, like, dissect a movie you hate on yeah. a level that i'm just not capable of. i'm not as much of a movie guy as you three i'm just not. Yeah, yeah i like movies i don't have the capacity to like sit there and yeah. dive into them to that level yeah and i mean especially dude, like, when it's one you know, there's a difference between like i can love just an absolutely dog shit movie it's really about how much fun did i have watching sure. this movie yeah I, I mean i'm the same way there are yeah. pl- i like movies i'm just yeah. not i'm not a film guy yeah, yeah. You know, I'm not a, I'm not, I don't know. I'm not going to sit there and I, I just, I, especially if I really hated it. Like if there yeah. was no fun in it for me, which there wasn't with JFK. Well, you also, you often decide within the first like five minutes. Yeah. If you love or hate something. Mm-hmm. And then once you've made that decision, it is almost impossible to change your mind. Well, Although luckily there, for you, there I'm like. quite I'm, a number of video games. That you have told me within, like, five minutes, you're like, this is, like, one of my favorite games ever. This is amazing. And then, like, literally two days later, I'm like, so you're still playing that? And you're like, oh, no, I stopped after, like, two hours. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, luckily for you, I'm the same way with people. Like, I decided yeah. within about 10 minutes that I liked you, and you've given me ample reason to stop liking you over the years. Yeah, and and I just, I've never stopped later. because I just decided, like, yeah. oh, man, I fucking love this guy. He's yeah. so funny. And I just can't help it. So here yeah, we are making like, a podcast It's like together. me and Crusader Kings, where, like, mm-hmm. I, I kept trying to get somebody to play Crusader Kings. Finally, you did. Within, like, a few minutes. At first, you were like, this is, like, so confusing. And then, like, after an hour, you're like... This is one of the greatest games I've ever played. And well, then, I would like, say after a few more hundred hours, you're like, this is one of the greatest games I've ever played. Yeah, I, I would argue that I've like surpassed you at C- Crusader Kings. I would make that I argument. I would not. Yeah, I know you wouldn't, but I think you'd be wrong. I think I that, don't um, think I would be. I put like, dude, I put like 800 hours into CK2. Yeah, but that's the old era. The old era is dead. It, it's a uh, late era. The CK2 old king is, is dead. CK3. Long live the king. CK3 is fucking unbelievable. C- CK3 is like the post holy fury ck2 it's like they they kept all of the stuff after all of the dlcs and they cut some of the not great stuff but well i tried to go back and play ck2 because they made it free again and um yeah. once you've tried the new one it's really impossible to go back to the old one so i just couldn't yeah, do maybe. it i love the old one, oh, the old one if great. i had played that first i probably would have loved it too you know what yeah. i mean but it's like i just recently i tried going back and playing uh rome total war because yeah. it was like four bucks or something on some Steam sale. Yeah, I played it a few years ago after starting CK. It's like, yeah, it sucks. I mean, so here's it's the thing. like playing with fucking like like Lincoln Logs or something after. Well, Crusader the King. the the overworld, like the map stuff, is really basic, and yeah. I used to love that a lot, and that's part of why I love CK three because it's all that. Right, like mm-hmm. it's all the overworld map stuff, and it's way more fleshed out. There's way more to it. That's to me, that's the best part of those games. Um, the 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 beauty of Total War is like the like on the ground, like directing mm-hmm. the battles. That's sort yeah. of what they're really good at. And I never liked that as much. Like I wish yeah. I did, but I'm just impatient. Like I would, I can only, I would yeah, I can only do it like a couple times. Exactly. I would I would do auto battles a lot. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I would I would do like the first five, maybe ten battles like actually do them and then it's like all right i'm conquering shit i can't keep stopping for an hour to do like a shitty little battle where it's like impossible to like maneuver sometimes you know yeah and so especially playing the old ones it's really tough now if my uh pc was good enough to handle the new ones i'm sure i would try the new ones because like uh, dude the first rome is better than the second one no but i mean that's the second rome is already like 10 years old They've True, come out yeah. with they've come out with like seven games since then. They yeah, did a, true, a yeah. three kingdoms total war, and yeah. it looks really good, like really good. And um, there's like a zero percent chance that my computer can run it. I played <laughs> I tried playing Shogun two, which came out either right like after or right before Rome two. Yeah, and that my computer is just like no, nah, I don't do that. I'm a laptop. Damn. I don't I don't fucking do that. So yeah, um, which is too bad because Shogun was like the the first and the hardest. Total War game. Never played Shogun. Way fewer territories than any other Total War game, and way harder. <coughs> yeah. Just way harder. Hmm. Which actually ties in, because the reason <laughs> that I did this episode is because... I, the reason I got into this into this period in the first place is because of that video game. But before we dive into that... Yeah. We've got an ad, don't we? Got a special one today, folks. Really yeah, special what one. I've heard. Very, very excited about this one. Alright. So... Today's episode is brought to you by Yojimbo Slice Katanas, the biggest katanas this side of the Pacific Ocean. Hell yeah. Here at Yojimbo Slice, our goal is to bring our customers the largest, most unwieldy katanas possible. Your Bushido will be at an all-time high when you wield one of our hand-hammered, made-to-order swords. 
Choose from a number of frameworks, including the De Kappa Nader 13-foot blade, the Gundamit 16-footer, or even the 25-foot Unit 731 Manchurian Shrine Shredder. In total, we have about a dozen designs, each with a unique theme and colorway. Worried about being able to wield your brand new Yojimbo Slice Katana? Well, worry not, prospective customer. We here at Yojimbo Industries have designed the all-new patented exoskeletal titanium alloy backpack and lever pulley system our customers love that will help you balance your new sword and cut away the competition. <laughs> Looking for a smaller, more discreet katana? Well, fuck off to one of those other users. Yojimbo Slice only makes the biggest katanas on the market. You've studied the blade, now study the best. Yojimbo Slice, big katana purveyors. Use promo code LEFTUNSWUNG today for 20% off your first order on an under 18 foot blade today. Yojimbo. <laughs> Alright, man. Fuck yeah. You could be your own Kikuchio. Yeah. You could be uh, your own Sephiroth. I'm trying to think of other people with big ass swords. Yeah, um, I mean, dude, yeah, these are like, some of these are like 30 feet long. <laughs> dude, can you imagine? That's like, that's the most anime shit I've ever heard in my life. The yep. 30 foot long sword. Yeah. Some little scrawny twink is just swinging it around. Oh, yeah, dude, just like, like, no actively problem. like gaining different, new unheard of types of scoliosis. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like fusing his vertebrae together, trying oh, to hold it hysterical. up. That's hysterical. That's so fucking funny. <laughs> Uh, Yo, Jimbo yeah. Slice. Yep. I like it. Yep. You've studied the blade, now study the best. <laughs> yeah, that was good. I did laugh at that. <laughs> yep. Very nice. Well, yeah, I mean, you guys should check it out if you if you ever want a sword that's, you know, big. Then yeah, you that, that you need to, like, hire a crane to to move into yeah. above your fireplace. What do they call that, a daikatana? Or there's another word for that. Uh, I'm not sure those big swords horse chopper i don't know they're for cutting horses heads off that's what they're for really Damn. yeah they, they nobody used those to like fight each other they're uh derived from like an old chinese sword that was for huh. exclusively like when a cavalry charges you you step to the side and cut the horse's head that sounds then... like something you would have to develop uh, if you have the mongols as your neighbors yeah <laughs> yeah it sounds about right yeah <laughs> Yeah, nobody right. else needs to make the swords that <laughs> specifically cut off horses' heads. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's good to have now just if you'd like to cut off horses' heads. But, that's, yeah, you know, yeah. if you're just a hobbyist, if that's your, if that's your, yeah. the way that you spend your afternoons, which. Yeah, what, yeah, like, you know, like, you know, you've got those big game hunters, like those, like, fucking dentists and shit that, you know, they like to, like to go to, I don't know, Africa and kill a rhinoceros or something like that. You know, yeah. you could go to the steppe. And just fucking chop off some horses' heads, like like a wild horse running by, just. Fap. Dude, my favorite thing. So we have yet actually, fuck. After this, I'm probably gonna have to do some Mongol episodes because we've yet to do an episode on the Mongols, which is I know yeah. insane because that's like my favorite shit. But we're actually today yeah. we're gonna talk about my 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 favorite favorite yeah, shit. I got some golden horde action going. We or something. sure do. We got to talk yeah. about Jingus and his and his boys, his sons, yeah. his brood. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to talk about before we dive in? Oh, uh, the one thing, uh, I kind of kind of shot my wad by texting you it today. Yes, you did. Uh, <laughs> so you guys won't hear the reaction from me that I got earlier because I fucking laughed I know, my and ass I knew off. that, and I knew you were going to fucking lose your mind oh, over I that. lost my shit. Because, like, of all the, like, insane <laughs> shit with the Son of Sam story, the one that I've, I've meant to put it down and say it. So, obviously, we talked about uh, um, David Berkowitz's mm -hmm. a, a friend 
John Wheaty's car, John yeah. Wheat car. John Wheat car. And his actual middle, middle name, name was Wheat. W-H-E-A-T. Like, like W-H-E-A-T, Wheat. And so I texted Evan today, and I was like, Evan, also, how fucking insane is it to name your kid, to give him the middle name Wheat? Like and wheat. I said, you think that's insane? John Wheat Carr had a younger sister whose name was just straight up Wheat Carr. Dude, her so first like name this, was like, Wheat. Yeah, so this like freak of a father was just like <laughs> could not get enough of naming his fucking kids Wheat. So he named his son John Wheat Carr, and then his daughter just Wheat Carr. Do you think John Wheat Carr ever made a joke like when he jerked off? He's like, haha, cream of wheat. Do you ever think, do you think he ever did that? I would. I would do that all the time. I don't know if that thought would ever go into my head without you having said it. Yeah, I would. Well, just came into my head right now, like as we were talking about this. So I don't know. I, I guess I'm Maybe. just a certain type of guy. Maybe but. he does. He does seem like a maladjusted freak. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm really glad that you brought it up this week because I, I was really, really upset that you didn't bring it up last week. I know. Yeah, I totally forgot, man. Wee well, car. It's okay. That was that was one of my favorite facts from that. Yeah, wee car. Wee car was actually the the person that the New York City cops talked to on the phone, and she's like, "Oh, David Berkowitz. Oh, that freak is just shooting dogs around here." <laughs> <laughs> wheat car. Yeah, wheat. North Dakota honey. Well, this was New York. This was Yonkers. Wasn't she from North Dakota though? Weren't they? Oh, no, no, no. The only he, one that was John Carr lived there because he was. I thought the they Air were Force. from there, and then, then he like came. No, here. they were from Yonkers. He he was only in North Dakota because he was in the Air Force and he was stationed there. So I thought they were from North Dakota, and he made his way here. Got it. So no, he no, was, they were from Yonkers. That's right. And he went to he went to high school with uh, with Maury um, Terry. Maury Terry for one year. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Man, if you guys yes, haven't sir. listened to last week's episode, you really need to because it's yeah. very good. So I've listened to it three times, and I never listened to our. Have episode. you really? Yeah, I never listened to yeah. our episodes more than once, but I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really good. Uh, I thought, I, I, you know, I don't know. I feel like we're kind of on a roll here. Yeah. I feel so like we're doing our best let's stuff fucking lately. ruin that roll because I'm about to do three in a row, and it's not about the CIA, and it's not about anything modern, and it's all about bullshit. And uh, I hope you guys like it because it's my favorite shit yeah, in the world. So to talk some of about. you better be fucking weeaboos. I hope we have some weeaboos here because <laughs> we are about to talk about my some absolute, like the first thing, eh, maybe not the first, but one of the first things that got me into history. And I've been yeah. gearing up to do this, and I've been talking about it for months. I've mentioned it multiple times on the show, and yeah. we're doing a three-parter. I'm doing three in a row. Um, so this is episode one, and we are going to dive in. Are you ready? So I'm off for the rest of the year. Yeah, dude. You're uh, you're literally done uh, until 2022. Uh, uh, I was thinking today, I was uh, like, fuck, I could probably uh, make four or five episodes out of this, but I'm not about to uh, do that because a uh, trilogy want a trilogy works better. Uh, 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 <laughs> you can't see it, but Evan is doing like a really hideous dance, just yeah. moving his body in a way that no one wants to see. Uh, uh, Gyrating his shoulders. Uh, there's jiggling all going shoulders, on. Baby. Just, yeah, the sl- oh yeah, the slutty boy's shoulders. Things just moving. He's got his New York Mets shirt on. Yep. All right. Well, you ready? Oh. Uh, oh. Uh, uh, <laughs> let's do it. All right. Let's start the show.
Um, so as I said, this is the first of a planned three-part exploration of one of my favorite periods in, in world history. We're going to be talking about the Japanese Sengoku Jidai, which is the Warring States period of Japanese history. Um, and I'm going to be super upfront about the fact that this is my favorite shit to talk about. I love this yeah. so much. Um, I encourage He's you to He's not lying, folks. No, I, <clears throat> I really am not. Like I, I, And I got into this because I played uh, a video game, a computer game, called Shogun Total War. And yep. I, re- I still remember, as I was writing this, I kept thinking about there's this like intro cinematic to that show, and I, uh, to that game, rather. And I, mo- yeah. I might put that in here for a second, because this narrator comes on, and I don't know if it was like a white guy doing a Japanese accent, yeah. or if it was a real Japanese guy, or whatever. But it starts, you know, like every Total War game, there's this little cinematic. Yeah. It's like... The year is 1530. For 200 years, the Ashikaga Shogunate has ruled Japan from their capital in Kyoto. The recent Awning War has shown that they no longer have the power to control Japan's great clans. The time has come for a new warrior to claim the title of Shogun. Singoku Jidai, the age of the country at war. And I was just <laughs> like, dude, I was hooked immediately. Yeah. And they give you this little backdrop onto like what that means. And obviously, the, uh, the game got a lot of things wrong, but it hooked me. And since then, yeah. I've spent... So much time just reading about this and learning Dude, about this. Dude, I, I loved all those little, like, voiceovers in the Total War games. The fucking, oh. the original Rome one, you'd always mm-hmm. have, Oh, Stratagos! <laughs> and then there would be a different guy who would, like, pronounce it slightly different, differently. He'd be like, Oi, Stratagos! <laughs> like, just we read, are like, the Julii! We are yeah. the predominant family of Rome! Like, it was always, it was yeah. always super hyper. Imperator! Like, Imperator. Anytime like, on a general. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so those games Stratugos. are great. You check them out, I guess, but... <laughs> so ever since I was a kid, I've been obsessed with uh, the stories and the imagery of samurai and ninja and daimyo and everything that comes along with all that. Um, yep. And I, so I've spent decades literally observing as much as I could about these things. And um, like anyone who has any sort of interest in Japanese history, I came to realize that the the period in Japanese history that truly defines and sort of most informs our modern view of so much of what we uh, you know when what we envision when we think of Japanese history yeah. um, is this particularly violent period of time known in Japanese as the Sengoku Jidai, which means the Warring States period. Yeah, um, and that's a I guess I'll say like a Japanese corruption of the Chinese term for mm-hmm. their Warring States period, which is unrelated. But historians in Japan obviously were heavily informed by Chinese history and yep. liked the term, and they went with it. Um, so beginning in 1467 with the outbreak of the Onin War and the ending, and then ending in 1615 with the ascendancy of the Tokugawa clan and the unification yep. of Japan, uh, the Sengoku era plays out like a historical George R.R. R. Martin wet dream. Like, it is really like Game of Thrones on crack. Like, just every single lord trying to kill every single other lord. There's ninjas, there's, 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 there's killings, there's betrayal, there's assassination, there's warfare on an epic scale. And the entire island of Japan is engulfed completely <clears throat> during this time. Um, yep. And through this intense period of conflict, uh, a lot of enduring cultural concepts like the Bushido Code... Um, which you may have heard of, are solidified and become sort of the stuff of legend. So this whole period has become this kind of... It's almost like the way that we in America tend to view, like, the Revolutionary War. You know, from yeah. this came the modern nation of Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, this was, like, their their era. But while our Revolutionary War was, you know, five or six years long, this is 150 years of just constant combat and conflict and people just 
trying to one-up each other, and it really shaped the modern nation. Swag. Uh, yeah, it is swag. <laughs> uh, um, so we're going to be diving into a lot of topics during this three-parter, and this is going to be a three-parter. I'm doing the next three weeks. Um, I feel like we do oh. a lot of multi-part episodes. Oh. <laughs> I know, Evan's oh. stoked about it. We do a lot of multi-part <laughs> episodes, but I felt like this one in particular lent itself towards being consecutive. So, like, yeah, we're just, I'm just going to do three in a row, and I'm just going to be tired as fuck through Christmas, and we'll see what happens. Um, if, I, if, if I backtrack on any of this, you all need to forgive me. Evan won't, but you all need to. I will uh, not let you live it down ever. <laughs> never. You'll be well, on your deathbed, and I'll be like, hey, remember that time you lagged during the podcast? Dude, you, you still you remind me of, like, way less important shit that I did 10 years ago, so I, I <laughs> can't imagine I would ever live it down, but it's I'm, I've learned how to deal with it. Um, <clears throat> but I am going to be taking a lot of sidesteps, like, throughout these <clears throat> episodes to just kind of talk about concepts and terms and, and things, and I'm, I'm not going to be, like, hyper-detail oriented. I, we could do a whole show on the single could you die like i said it's 150 years yeah filled with shit i just want to try to kind of capture like a broad i don't know like a broad view of what this era of japanese history is why it's so interesting why it's so cool and kind of like give you guys an idea of why a it's become such a preeminent feature in japanese history but also be like why i fell in love with it you know what i mean like why to me this is some of the most interesting shit in the world um because it has absolutely captured my heart i've been obsessed with this period of time for the longest time and so that's just gonna that's gonna kind of shape the way that i did this episode i didn't do it like the same way i did the opium wars and stuff where i was so trying to focus on like specifics it's more about like what about this grabbed me and i'm gonna hope it grabs you and then you go out and you can fill in the blanks and you can grab another person yeah and you just grab whoever you want honestly tell them i sent you yeah (laughs) tell them left them red sent you um so without further ado let's dive into part one of three single die. For background, so it's 1464 CE, and the shogun is restless. He's 28 years old, and Ashikaga Yoshimas has been supreme center of governmental authority in Japan since he was just a boy of 13. Now, please note, during this episode, we'll be using traditional Japanese naming conventions, so Mm -hmm. the family name or the clan name is always going to come first when we're discussing basically anyone on this show. Um, So Ashikaga Yoshimas was from the Ashikaga clan, and his given name was Yoshimas. So his family, the Ashikaga clan, they've held the shogunate since 1336, when his ancestor, Ashikaga Takuji, overthrew the Kamakura shogunate and seized power for his own family. Yoshimas was the eighth Ashikaga shogunate, uh, the eighth Ashikaga shogun, and at 28, he still possessed of no male heir. 
So in feudal Japan, this is a potentially disastrous situation. Uh, it's a traditionally patriarchal society. If you don't have a son, things fall into disarray. There's very little precedent in Japanese history for women inheriting power. It, it happens. There are times when it does, but especially at this time, yep. no one is willing to invest power in a woman. They would literally rather, rather throw the country into complete turmoil than let a woman inherit. Um, yeah, earlier in Japanese, am I right, my man? <laughs> Um, earlier in Japanese history, you might see it a little bit, but by this point, it's like fully uh, a patriarchal society. So Yoshimasa is a practical man, and he has a contingency plan in mind. So he has a younger brother who's named Yoshimi, and you're going to start to notice, and I'm not talking about the Flaming Lips lip song, but that's a good song, and I should probably put that in this show. Okay. Um, but you're going to start to notice that a lot of these uh, samurai, especially at the higher ranks, their sons all kind of have really similar names yeah so you're gonna probably run into some confusion in this episode but it is what it is so he has a younger brother named yoshimi who in accordance with custom at the time had devoted himself to the life of a buddhist monk likely to remove himself as a threat to his brother's authority um, but also to ensure stability in the realm so your older brother becomes daimyo of the family what are you going to do there's two things you can do if you want to be honorable uh you can either take your oaths and become a buddhist monk and therefore no one can ever look at you and say you're a coward or you can try to fight your brother <laughs> like, and yeah. he didn't want to do that and didn't want to throw his realm into turmoil so he goes off and he becomes a monk and he's happy with that um, he's actually the head of a monastery at a very young age so in japan you know buddhism had been around for a few hundred years and samurai were always kind of in this syncretic lifestyle where they were both Shinto, which is the national religion of Japan and has always been sort yep. of an animist religion, but they're also Buddhist, but they're also warriors and they can kind of reconcile all this and they're really good at syncretism. They're really good at this idea. Yeah, of like, yeah they still do it. Yeah. yeah, they still do it. And yep. they blend all these ideas together and they never seem to have a problem with like, well, so you, you're a devotee of a religion of peace, but you're still samurai. Like, yeah. So he, he was still considered samurai. He was still considered noble, but he was out of the line of succession and therefore not a threat. So, so, so in 1464, yeah. um, seeing that his brother had no male heir, uh, Yoshimas began persuading his younger brother, Yoshimi, to leave the monk's robe behind. Um, he wanted him to take up the sword again and rejoin the family business and wanted to try to rule the country. And um, His brother was initially reluctant. So he had actually kind of taken into the idea of being a Buddhist monk. He was enjoying himself. He was finding peace. He didn't have to do all this training. He didn't have to do all this bullshit where he was like living by the strict court life. You know, life in a samurai household was very regimented, like to an insane degree. You know, people think now about military life, especially in the United States as being really strict. Right. But, you know, imagine the Marine Corps on steroids. If you're, if you're in sight of someone else, your behavior has to be so strictly regimented that there's essentially zero element of freedom there. Yeah. So he decides eventually after much persuading um, that he's going to come back. And in a certain sense, you know, I can only imagine that he must have felt a sense of relief because he was raised to this. You know, when you were born into a samurai family, especially if you were the son of the shogun, Uh, you would be expected from birth to essentially devote your entire life to warfare, the practice of warfare, the learning of government. Um, And to leave that and become a Buddhist monk would have been kind of jarring, I would think. You know, they obviously had to have a certain amount of education in religion, but um, 
to leave that, I can only imagine, would have been really difficult. So he, he begrudgingly at first, but then finally sort of accepts the idea, like, okay, I'm going to come back. I'll be your heir. You're 28. We need to have a male heir to the throne. I will come back. Cool. And this is where things get absolutely bonkers. And this kicks off, like, 150 yeah, well, years. he immediately of, have, like, a bunch of kids? Like, a bunch of boys? Not even a bunch. Just one. So, okay. <laughs> so as soon as his brother agrees, his wife gets pregnant. <laughs> and, of course, you know, at the time there was speculation about, like, how did that happen? That's pretty fortuitous. But whatever. She gets pregnant. Um, and he has a well, son. What, 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 what's the conspiracy there? Well, so uh, there's not much to it except that, yeah. like, well, that's the thing about Japanese history. So yeah, what's recorded and what we have recorded of Japanese history is is almost exclusively the the PC narrative. Okay, it's not even like Roman history. Like you get that with Roman histories too, right? Where everything's kind of whitewashed. But Japanese history is like even more. Well, well, regulated. either whitewashed or obscenely scandalous. Right, like, way and past so, the point of what it actually was. So in Japan, there's not even that level of scandal. Everything is yeah. so insular and so regulated. Um, yeah. But I can only imagine, so we'll put this up to my speculation, that there there was, because who wouldn't? Who wouldn't wonder, right? Like, he's 28, he's been trying to have a kid forever. All of a sudden, he says that someone else is going to be the heir to the throne, and then all of a sudden, his wife is pregnant. Yeah. You know, you can fill in the blanks there. I guess. I'm not, I'm not saying that it happened, but it is weird that someone who's been infertile for 10 years is all of a sudden producing a child. So... She's pregnant all of a sudden, and people are wondering, um, and you can tell people are wondering because of what happens next. So okay. <laughs> this isn't recorded, but you can kind of fill in the blanks based on what follows the situation. So she has a son. Uh, her name is Tomiko, and she's uh, also a samurai. She's from a noble family, obviously. She's married to the shogun. Yeah. And she has a son named Yoshihasa. And in Japanese tradition, especially at this point, by birthright, he is his father's heir. However... Uh, his father has named someone else his heir, which is also yeah. legally binding, um, and technically supersedes the right of this young boy, unless he is to rescind his uh, endorsement of his brother as his heir. So it's very complicated. So as you can sort of tell, immediately... You and your brother better be fucking close if you did this shit. Well, <laughs> so you're going to see, it's it's actually, it is more complicated. They, they are close. And yeah. um, however... No matter what happens, if you're a student of Japanese history or human history as a whole, you can tell things are about to get fucking weird. Because all of a sudden, you've got two heirs. And what are you going to do? Well, you have to dishonor one of them. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And they will not join the honored dead in Stovopor. Before we continue, and we will get back to this narrative, and I will tell you what happened, um, I think it's time to probably kind of clear a few things up. Uh, like I said, I want to kind of give some background on just like a few a few parts of this story that will hopefully fill in the blanks for some people. Um, I'm sure some of you guys are 
big into Japanese history. I don't understand why anybody would not be, but um, if you're not, this part's for you. Yeah, honestly, I mean, I had a, I had a professor the same one as you in college, mm-hmm. which I, I had a modern Japanese history class. So it was like Tokugawa showing it, and like post that like up through like uh, the Second Sino Japanese War. So there you go. Well, that's yeah, actually I haven't, a little I haven't bit of had a, like older Japanese history. That's Evan just gave you a little bit of a spoiler to how things are going to go, and and <laughs> I'm I'm not going to fill in any blanks, but the single Kujidai ends with a winner, <laughs> and uh, <Yeah>. <laughs> we won't. Well, we'll get there when we get there. Yeah, but yeah, no modern Japanese. I mean, all of Japanese history is fucking psychotic. It's it's so yeah. interesting. It's it's it, the the thing about it is that it's so frenetic. They compounded so much development in such a short time compared to so many other countries on Earth. Um that there really just is, like, nonstop action throughout Japanese history. There's just always something going on. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, we have had a request sitting for a while now that I do want to do at some point about uh, Nakahama Manjiro, who was um, the Japanese man who got picked up by whalers Mm -hmm. and brought to uh, right here to my hometown. Well, that's chronologically in our future, and I think we should get there, though. Far in the future. I think think that would actually be... Um, if you'd like, I can either work that into part three, or we can do a separate episode on that. I don't know. If yeah, may, maybe episode. like an addendum or something. Yeah. So. Yeah, maybe you know what? Maybe you can uh, write like a little postscript for part three. Yeah. Because I think that occurs in the timeline of where I'm trying to wrap this up. Nineteenth century. Yeah, like mid yeah. to late. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <clears throat> well, we'll see. We'll see how yeah. it works out. Um. So yeah, let's talk about a few things that I've mentioned so far that, you know, you might need some blanks filled in on. So up until now, I've been doing a lot of rambling on and on and on about things like samurai and clans and shogunates. Um, And for some of you, this might be old news. Like we said, there's hopefully some weeaboos listening who are just like, oh, this isn't like a, I don't actually even know an anime. So I can't, can't, like (laughs) the ones I know. Evangelion. Yeah, but that's not about samurai. Like I know that one. Oh, true, yeah. Uh, Samurai Champloo. I know that. Yeah, Samurai Champloo. I know that one. This isn't like Naruto. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Dude, I've never watched that show because I just can't. But uh, yeah. Um, so I have to assume, though, that especially since um, this is hardly the main subject matter of this podcast, we're obviously kind of Eurocentric and US-centric, um, that not everyone listening is, is super well-versed in all this lingo. So I thought that this would be a nice little place for a narrative break where I could go over a few important things. Um, so Japan in 1464. What exactly in the fuck is going on here? Yeah, what the fuck's up? <laughs> what's going on in Japan? It's 1464. What does it look like? Hey, what's up with stuff? <laughs> so I'm going to give you guys all the benefit of the doubt. I'm going to assume that you know where Japan is. It's an archipelago of thousands of small islands. They probably don't. Uh, and four big, <laughs> four big main islands in the Pacific Ocean, uh, east of the Chinese that. mainland. <laughs> we, um, we know that you know where it is, Yeah, we're, we hope you know where it is. I really Yeah, uh, Yeah, if not, we're... Definitely going to judge you a little bit. <laughs> we're we're going to make fun of you a get, little bit. Get, just Google it. Google it now, <laughs> and then we can keep going. Yeah, pause Ready? the fucking podcast. Have you done you, it? Your, your, your educational podcast. Okay. You teach yourself something. Learn where the fuck Japan is. Yeah, I'm not... I can't, I can't verbally describe to you, so just Google it. And we don't do that. We post images every week to a company. I don't do that. Um... Maybe yeah, someday. If you guys really if you guys give us enough listeners that we can have a Patreon and I can quit my job and I can yeah. all I can do is talk about fucking We can send you Patreon only emails. I would happily do that. But yeah. not yet. We ain't there yet. 
Yeah. So it's, you know, archipelago, four main islands, thousands of small islands off the coast of China. Um, and if you know anything about this region, you know that, generally speaking, uh, China at this point has been the dominant cultural force for at least a thousand years, if not longer. Yeah. Um, and we're talking about 1464, not now, because now it's still dominant. But Yeah. Um, and they've exerted their influence over the surrounding peoples and polities, essentially for all... To make it easier, it's since time immemorial. Like yeah, China's fucking massive. China's massive, and their culture and they're surrounded by a bunch of tiny countries. They are, and the histories of those surrounding countries generally do not like written history. Just does generally ugh, generally <laughs> does not extend further back than Chinese influence. The reason for that being, most of them learned writing from China. So. Yeah. Prior to that, and that's not true in every case, I don't mean to make yeah. blanket statements, there is obviously a deep and rich history to all of these countries. However, what we have to work with, what I have to work with, is mostly uh, uh, post-Chinese contact. So, like I said, language, uh, writing, but also political systems, uh, religion, warfare, basically everything in the, the smaller political entities surrounding China owes at least something to Chinese influence. And, and in this regard, Japan is no different. Um, they do have the benefit of being separated from the mainland by some famously rough seas. So their contact is a little more distant. Um, if you look at it on a map, you're like, oh, that's like right there. But, you know, back in the day, like the South China Sea and, and, and the Strait of Japan, it was difficult yeah. to cross. They didn't have... You know, we've talked about this before in the Opium Wars episode. A lot of yeah. these East Asian nations didn't prioritize, <sighs> like, open ocean travel. You know, they were really Unless adept you're Polynesian. at... Polynesian. <laughs> right. Well, also, Polynesians, yeah, it's a whole different thing, but... Yeah, yeah, they were just going all over the motherfucking these, place. These East Asian nations were really yeah. adept at coastal seafaring, but not yeah. much else. And so, um, there was back-and-forth trade, there was back-and-forth communication, but China wasn't really concerned with Japan... You know, we talked about that also in the Opium Wars. China was so big and so rich and so powerful. They liked having everyone around them in their orbit, but they weren't super concerned with, like, they weren't going to go out and conquer all these places. They weren't yeah, going they, to make they them actual. To dominate. They didn't need to. You know, they knew that, like, listen, you need to come to us for silks. You're the only place. What do you have over there in Japan? <laughs> you know? Um so anyway, so Japan is, is like I said, sort of no different. They're heavily influenced by Chinese culture, but they also, because of their isolation, have a bit of an opportunity to develop some real cultural peculiarities, which will come to be some of the, the, the sort of driving forces behind this country eventually becoming a global superpower. Yeah. Um, and it's a tiny little country compared to every other superpower that gets mentioned, you know? Um, yeah. You think about World War II and you look at Japan, you're like, how the fuck? Well, we're starting to kind of talk about how the fuck. Yeah, yeah. They, they've got to be very particular about the way that they build up their massive population. Yeah. On yeah. such small land that is also quite mountainous. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's nothing there. Japan is beautiful and full of nothing. Yeah. Um, but so most important for now, uh, aside from knowing that the Japanese have often utilized Chinese written language um, and that they've been heavily influenced by their culture, um, at this point... Uh, in 1464, China, Japan is still actually technically a tributary state of China. They still technically pay tribute to the Chinese emperor. Now, um, in practice at this point, it didn't really mean that much. Um, they would send gifts 
uh, knowledge would sort of be exchanged. They would occasionally send these diplomatic missives, which were like, you know, the emperor of Japan acknowledges the supremacy of, you know, the emperor of China, whatever. There's not much more than that. You know, they're yeah. not being called to fight in wars because, like I said, China doesn't really need them. Just like they don't really need Korea or Vietnam or... Yeah. They like having them there. And they like knowing that they have these buffer states. But China's so big and there's so many people and no one's really threatening them except for the barbarians to the north. And they can kind of handle that, they feel like. So they don't really they don't really call on their tributary states for much. Um, but... Japan actually benefits a lot from this. This Well, we say benefits, but right. they gain a lot from this. Um, they gain access, a, access to silk and gold and, and silver and lots of material <laughs> goods, um, but also to Buddhism and Confucianism. Um, and, and that's all really valuable and really informs and writing and language, like I, like I said. Um, in Japan, they still use the Chinese alphabet for lots of things. They have their own alphabet, but they kind of use a syncretic system where they incorporate both. Um, and so that's all really important, you know. But Japan itself has a particularly fascinating political system, um, which is going to kind of be central for the story here. Um, so you may be thinking to yourself, Cam, you mentioned before that the shogun, Yoshimas <laughs> was a supreme authority in Japan. But I thought Japan had an emperor. Wouldn't the emperor be in charge? And yes, you are right. Sort <laughs> yeah. of. So as I mentioned, Japan modeled much of its political structure off of China's. And so, like China, for as long as anyone could remember, Japan had been ruled by an emperor. Now, the current imperial house of Japan is actually, according to Japanese history, the only imperial house of Japan. That's right. There is only one dynasty, which is kind of insane when you look at global history. So, so when you say now, I mean, do now. you mean today? I today? mean today in in twenty twenty one, the current chrysanthemum throne, the current sitting emperor on the chrysanthemum oh. throne, which is Naruhito now. His father was Akihito, son oh. of Hirohito. I think it's I think it's Naruhito now. So the oh. the the emperor now that was uh, recent, is right? technically what do you say? That was recent, right? Yeah, in the last year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's, and his father's still alive. He's just really Yeah, old. yeah, he's he just abdicated. abdicated. Um, he is, according to the official narrative, descended directly to the first ever emperor of Japan. There has never been a break in the line. Now, that does get a little murky, um, but it is the official narrative, and this yeah. isn't an episode about the imperial house, uh, so that's sort of fine. Um, traditionally, there are 126 monarchs in the imperial genealogy, dating back to Emperor Jimu, the first emperor, in 660 BC. And I know that doesn't okay. seem like a lot of emperors. Yeah, I'm, I'm about to do the math right now. Yeah, no. <laughs> well, so the thing about this is, I mean, do the Please. math and then tell me what you tell me what you find, and then we'll, we'll say okay. what we're going to say. Okay. Was that about 20 years each? <laughs> yeah. Uh, right, which is which is nuts. Uh, um, a 20-year reign per monarch in any society is like fucking bananas. There's just yeah. absolutely no chance that that's real. Yeah, um, yeah, and that's sure. accepting that some of them have reigned for much longer, right? Like, Akihito reigned since the 80s and just advocated this. Yeah. That's 40 years, you know? Yeah. Um, Hirohito reigned for 40 years. The Meiji Emperor reigned for... Yeah. So, it's assuming an incredible longevity and stability of reign, which just doesn't exist in monarchies ever. Right? Yeah. You're going to yeah. have 20, a couple of two year guys. You're going to have 20 a 20 years average dating back to, like, you know, what the fucking 7th century BCE. Yeah, it's insane. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's zero percent chance it's real. So yeah, the first twenty nine of these emperors are are at least semi mythological, if not yeah. completely made up. Um, and they're claimed to have lived for insanely long times, and each ruled for like fifty years apiece. Like just just yeah, it, something it, that's like Roman happen. Kingdom shit, right? Um, exactly. It's a great analog. We talked about yeah. that in Tiberius, which is what episode seven. Uh, I don't five and know. seven, right? Yeah, something like that. Um, no, no, not five. Yeah, seven and nine, maybe something like that. Yeah. Uh, but so, if you listen back to our Rome episodes or any Roman history or any any monarchical history, you're going to find that there are these narratives wherein there's this sort of prehistorical narrative that that allows current dynasties to sort of claim descent from these old ancient traditions, and they're always bullshit. But Japanese history, like all other histories, is kind of like that, and it all fucking rules. And we're not really talking about Japanese proto history right now, so we're gonna we're gonna roll with it. We're gonna we're gonna talk about how the emperors are uh, magical. Um, there is uh, historio- historiographical evidence of Emperor Kinmei. He's the first emperor that can be historically attested. Uh, he was apparently the 29th emperor, and his reign began in 539 CE. So, at best, we can sort of say that, like, you know, the current emperors uh, have ruled Japan for 1,500 years plus. Yeah. You know what I mean? And there are breaks in the family line, you know, who's to say, like, how closely related the current guy really is to Kinmei, or especially Jimu, who probably didn't exist, but, um, you know, it's an unbroken line, which is pretty impressive. Um, Importantly, in Japanese history and in the traditional national religion of Shinto, which I mentioned a little bit earlier, uh, the emperors were all claimed to have descended directly from the sun goddess Amitras, uh, and thus their reign was divinely ordained. Um, So if you are the, the child of the sun... I mean, people talk about Japan as the land of the rising sun. That's not just uh, some weird, like, racist thing. That's how they yeah. thought of themselves. Uh, the name of Japan in Japanese is Nihon, which means sunrise kingdom. Uh, they yep. view themselves as the first land ever to have existed. And in Shinto, uh, Amitras and her concubine, whose name I forget, you know, were born... And he dipped his spear into the ocean and pulled it out, and the drops that fell from his spear tip formed the islands of Japan, and that is the foundation of life on Earth. Uh, And their children became the emperors. And so, if you believe that the ruler of your country, and and to this day there are still Japanese who believe this, although I'm sure it's much less uh, fervent than it was even 70 years ago. Yeah. you're going to feel that there's a certain sort of sacred element to your leadership. Um, but that's that's important. That last part about the emperor being sacred and being sacrosanct, that's important. So you should all remember it. Yep. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll remember. Yes. Yeah. Fucking remember it, dude. I'll remember. Just remember, dude. Yeah. 
Um, so another thing that I want to talk about. Okay, let's hear it. There's lots of things I want to talk about. <laughs> um, so as I mentioned before. You might say that's the reason this podcast started. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and this, this first episode is going to be a lot of background, and then we're going to fill things back in at the end. But yep. parts two and part three are going to get kind of back to single to die. Um, so as I mentioned, in 1464, Japan is ruled by a shogun. Uh, who himself was a member of a dynasty and who exercised supreme authority over the nation. But Cam, didn't you just say that the rule of the emperor was divine and that to interrupt it would bring chaos upon the land? Yeah, you lying piece of shit. <laughs> I did say that. But who said that the emperor wasn't still around? Because, see, here's the thing. Japanese politics are super fucking complex. And rather than abolishing older systems of government in favor of newer ones, uh, they tended to adopt a syncretic approach, wherein older systems might be de facto superseded by newer ones, but the older systems were kept intact. And they worked into these new systems as sort of vital components that it's propelled dual them. dual power, bro. Yeah, but it's... I mean, it's not really, <laughs> but in yeah, name yeah, it is. <laughs> uh, so in 1185... Uh, CE, when the Genpei War between rival factions within the Imperial family, the Minamoto and the Taira, you might have read uh, Genji and Heike in school, whatever, um, led to the establishment of the Kamakura Shogunate, a new system was established. Uh, so officially titled the Sei Tai Shogun, or Shogun for short, the Shogun of Japan was basically a military dictator. And from 1185 to 1868, which is a huge span of Japanese modern history, they yep. were the dominant political entity. Uh, the shogun's government was called the bakufu, which means tent government. Um, and it reflects their martial tradition. These were warlords. These were not, you know, what they would say, like uh, sissy boy emperors who just, you know, had by divine right. These were, these were yeah. soldiers who took over the day-to-day -day rule of the country and ruled it like it was a military camp. Mm -hmm. Now, officially, all of their power still derives from the emperor, and the imperial court is kept completely intact. They don't dissolve the court, they don't get rid of the emperor, they don't supersede the emperor, uh, but in reality, the shogun runs the government directly mm -hmm. and personally, and the imperial family quickly becomes like a super weird ceremonial super insular group of weirdos just living in the imperial capital in kyoto and like just doing their own thing and like painting yep. pictures and writing poems and like not really doing a whole lot because that's what the shoguns want yep so yeah nobody messes with the emperor but the emperor is also basically just kept in a little cage and he's a pet for the real power the shogun so everything went on as usual and the shogun outwardly had to display total fealty to the emperor uh and act in their behalf and nobody was <laughs> really fooled by this you know he would say everything i do is, is on behalf of the emperor but everyone knows like it's that guy up there telling us what to do with the sword who's in charge yeah yeah uh it was a sort of <clears throat> openly acknowledged political pageantry which is going to become kind of the defining characteristic of japanese politics for the next 600 years so as i mentioned at the start ashikage yoshimas was the current shogun uh in 1464 and he was the eighth Ashikaga shogun. Uh, his family had displaced the Kamakura shogunate a century prior after a brief period wherein the imperial family had tried to reassert authority and regain power for themselves. Uh, this period, known as the Kenmu Restoration, named after Emperor Kenmu, yeah. uh, who tried to take power back for his own family, was interesting because by this point, the Kamakura shoguns had themselves been relegated to ceremonial status by their chief advisors, the Hojo clan, Yep. Uh, the Hojo clan 
held the title of Shiken, or regent. And so, as fucking wild as this sounds, from like 1203 CE to 1333 yeah. CE, Japan was ruled by an emperor who was actually a figurehead controlled by a shogun who was also actually a figurehead controlled by a shiken. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, it's, but they didn't abolish any of these. They don't like to get rid of shit. So, yeah. there it is. Um, but so how did all these people... Figureheads all the way down, dude. <laughs> it's all the way down, dude. Um, <laughs> so how did all these people have so much power to begin with? And how would they even begin to consider competing with someone like an emperor, right? Like, you wonder, like, how did all these strongmen come to power? And the answer is... Samurai. Yeah. so that we can totally understand the context of the Onan War and the ensuing century and a half of conflict, uh, which is going to be the next two parts of the episode, which are like just straight warfare from start to finish until someone comes out on top. Yeah, some folks are going to get hacked to bits. Oh, it's going to be like Squid Game from fucking start to finish. Like just just people dropping like flies until there's one winner. Some folks are going to have a bad time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So mostly everyone has probably heard the word samurai at some point. even if it's only from that dumbass Tom Cruise movie, which, like, we should watch. That would be actually a really good LU uh, movie night episode because it's never such a it. racist, shitty movie. Oh, you've never seen it? No. Oh, man. All right. So that might... So, yeah, we'll definitely have to. Well, that, and then there's another one I'm going to mention later that's, like, a legitimately good movie that we should probably watch. So uh, maybe we'll have to do a double feature and talk about it. Yeah, I'll have to I'll have to finally watch... Uh, one, of, one of the first Criterion Blu-rays I ever bought was Seven Samurai. You've never I watched Seven Samurai? I still haven't watched it. So. so that takes place in a different historical period. That takes place yeah. later, but yeah, um, that's late. Yeah. That's that's one of the finest films ever. I know made. it's just like f- fucking. F- I mean, I, and I watch like Tarkovsky, so I watch three-hour movies with subtitles, but four is. I'll say this, man. I almost didn't make it through Stalker. I can watch Seven Samurai start to finish anytime. That's a fabulous. Really? That's a fabulous movie. It's one of the only long-format films that I can consistently watch from start to finish it's so good kurosawa was just unparalleled he was the absolute master of like the slow build yeah but anyway it doesn't matter i just said i'm not a film guy i'm not a film guy like a like a movies yeah Uh, um so i'll have to to watch seven summer maybe i'll do it this weekend maybe it'll be my friday night flick do it please do watch oh wait no no we're doing something on friday we are doing something on friday yeah that's right maybe it'll be my my saturday night Look at you with your consistent 
weekends off you you lucky bastard yeah um so all uh, back to what i was saying so you've all probably heard of a samurai and even if it's just from stupid movies or whatever you you probably have an image in your mind uh samurai is a warrior with a cool curvy sword and he likes to fuck shit up and like yeah um sort of the bigger the better too you know (laughs) no not actually in reality no no you want you want a 20 foot at least otherwise no you're gonna be laughing stock of the shogunate man that's some movie shit. Big swords, not their thing. 30 foot. <laughs> Fair enough. I guess that's true. You guys should call and order one because uh, yeah. they come with that backpack with the levers and the pulleys. And, yeah, you know. yeah, the exoskeletal uh, yeah. sort of titanium alloy yeah. system that so it tries to prevent as... It, 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 it keeps the fusing of the vertebrae to a, a, a bearable minimum. minimum. Yeah. A tasteful minimum. <laughs> Um, so you guys are kind of right if that's the most that you can picture. Um, but to really dive in, I think we have to kind of dissect the word itself, samurai. So, um, if you had to guess, what do you think samurai means? Don't read ahead. Me? Yeah. Um, just basically, I don't know, the warrior class and the, uh, the shogunate. Okay. So yes, it did come to mean that, um, warrior, soldier, whatever. That's not what I originally meant? No, the actual term comes from... Or maybe like a knight errant or something. Sure. And some of them did kind of fill that that role. Um, But the old Japanese term saburao, which becomes samurai, actually just means to serve. Uh, So the word samurai is really sort of a derivative of the term servant. Um, Not in the context that we would take that word, so it's not to expect that samurai are... Right. These are... Kind of the opposite of that. They're not serving you as like the common person. In fact, yeah, you are expected to serve them, but they are yeah. they their whole life is devoted to service to someone higher than them. Yeah. Um, and this is fundamental to understanding exactly what a samurai is in Japanese society. So I'm no expert. I'm not going to attempt to make like a perfect uh, um, explanation of samurai culture. And for our purposes. I'm just going to give you like kind of an, a quick overview. So by 1464, sure, sure. Um, Japanese society is heavily stratified. Now, okay. there are lots of nuances to this, but essentially there are three major classes. There are commoners, there are nobles, and there are samurai. So nobles are direct members of the imperial family. Um, and as I mentioned before, even though they're considered sort of sacrosanct and you can't really fuck with them, they're basically just little pets in Kyoto at this point. Yeah. Um, samurai were initially the descendants of branches of the nobility that grew too distant and were eventually relegated to a slightly lesser rank to sort of trim the branches of the imperial family and keep succession more secure. So most of these big samurai clans trace descent to the imperial family in some way or another, but yeah. they are distant and they are not allowed to succeed the emperor. They are not considered in line of succession. Um, okay. So they're not officially nobility, but they are certainly different from the common folk. Uh, they're sort okay. of an in-between, like a knightly class, like you would see in Europe. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they're the landed aristocracy in charge of all the provinces of Japan. So they're nominally answering directly to the emperor uh, and in charge of enforcing his rule on both the macro and the micro levels. Samurai themselves had an internal aristocracy of fealty and service to higher-ranked lords, hence their name. Uh, and the highest rank that a normal samurai could achieve was that of daimyo which was essentially like a semi-autonomous local lord, like a duke, um, I don't know, uh, over an entire province or or provinces of Japan. A viceroy? Sort of, yeah. 
Um, well, viceroys are appointed. Daimyos, are, this is uh, like lineal, right? They're lineal, yeah. yeah. So they uh, going back far enough, they were given these <laughs> lands by the emperor, but they yeah. inherit uh, through essentially primogeniture. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a little. It's not quite primogeniture because lords can kind of nominate a successor. So if they decide that their firstborn son isn't worthy, he's not guaranteed to succeed. But yeah. a lot of the time, that's like who they have groomed to be their their successor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, but it is patriarchal, and it's similar to European feudal society and and primogeniture. True agnatic primogeniture or a little agnatic cognatic. Oh man, you got to remind me of the difference. Agnatic cognatic is males preferred. Over females. Uh, yeah, no, true it's, cognatic, it's, I believe, is males and females are equal, and true agnatic is males only. So this is true agnatic. So they would give yeah, like I a cousin, a cousin or a nephew would inherit before a daughter ever would. I'm gonna, at this I'm gonna, point, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fact check myself. No, but uh, so yeah. to tell you guys at least, you know what, in yeah. terms of what we're talking about, uh, a male would always succeed, whether it's a brother or a, and that brings us back to like the primary issue that we had when we started this episode, where we've got a shogun who would rather have his brother inherit than a daughter or a niece, or he's got no male heir. There's no one other than his brother. He doesn't have any nephews. He doesn't have. Any, so this is it. I, I was right, by the way. Yes, I had a feeling you were. It's a thousand um, <laughs> hours in CK and Crusader Kings to get to that point. <laughs> yeah. Um, so beneath the daimyo, there would be regional governors and then local lords and then petty unlanded samurai like knights errant who, yeah. you know, are samurai. They have the rank. They might own a home. And they might have a couple of servants. And that's like about it. Um, yeah, there might, they might be uh, a don in La Mancha. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> They're not much more than that. <laughs> d- they're tilting at windmills, my friend. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, they got their <laughs> fat little stinky pants shit in uh, uh, Squire Sancho Panza. All right. Um, <laughs> so a daimyo would generally command uh, a sizable private army of subordinate samurai, uh, their subordinates, and then levies of the common folk. Um, and they, uh, they owed their allegiance to the shogun and the emperor, but they had massive individual... Uh, political and military capabilities. They basically ran themselves and just owed tribute and soldiers when called on to the emperor. Um, And this was all obviously relative to their individual power and standing. Um, But the thing that made samurai special is that they had special authority from the emperor to keep and maintain the martial tradition. And to this end, they were able to collect taxes from the commoners. So they were... So in 1464, anyone could own weapons. You know, you're going to hear about weapons bans and stuff a little later, maybe in like episode three and whatever. But the samurai were exclusive. And this is also sort of similar to the noble aristocracy in Europe. They were the exclusive dominant keepers of the martial tradition. They were allowed Mm to form armies. They were allowed to keep and train cavalry and troops. And they were given the authority to collect taxes from the peasantry, the commoners, to allow them to devote their entire lives rather than like spending, you know, wasting their time growing crops and shit. They were allowed to sit around and just like study the blade. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> memes aside, that's like actually what they did. Like yeah. most of them were actually now that the devoted to the fucking shit up. What'd you say? Now that the barbarians are at the gates. Right. <laughs> you that's dare so to funny. ask me for help. You dare to ask me for help. Uh, <laughs> Um, well, well, you were practicing <laughs> premarital sex. <laughs> You're killing me right now. Uh, um, 
And so then the third class, the commoners, is fucking everyone else. You could be rich, you could be poor, it didn't really matter. Oh, you were a God. merchant, or you were the guy who dug out the fucking poop out of the local town latrine. Night salmon. Um, you are all below a samurai, regardless. You could be richer than them, you could have more influence than them. The yeah. samurai who lives next door could be living in a fucking mud hut, covered in flies. He's a samurai, and he's yeah, samurai and from birth. Night Soilman is still beneath him. Exactly. It doesn't have any bearing on your rank, uh, and <laughs> um, so the shoguns are powerful daimyo who had slowly exerted their power over the emperor, um, and the emperor had grown weak due to his reliance on these daimyo. Yeah. Um, shoguns are the preeminent samurai lords of their land, and their power derived almost exclusively from their access to military might. Yeah. So this is glossing over a lot, but basically, unless you're a higher-ranking samurai, by 1464, you do not fuck with a samurai. Uh, yeah. They literally had the right, and this is called Kiriste Golmen, which is uh, well, our mutual friend is going to love hearing that shout-out because yeah. the band he likes has a song called that. Um, <laughs> but they literally had the right to kill someone of lower rank for almost any reason without reproach. Um, unless they were another samurai, they're not going to go to court. So me, I'm a ditch digger. Some little shitty samurai who's a piece of shit and no one likes him walks up to yeah. me and says, get out of my way. And I'm like, no. He pulls out his sword and cuts my fucking head off in the street. That guy's not going to jail. Permission Nothing's for your head to leave your body. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just like that. Yeah. and, the, and that 20, was just, 25 foot fucking blade. He's just swinging. <laughs> assisted like by my fucking exoskeletal suit. Just don't suit, move. Dude. Just don't move. It's going to take a while to get to build up the speed. Twilight Crescent Strike. <laughs> you got to name your strikes, dude. Because otherwise, like, you're not even studying the blade. I just. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. Dude. Um, so all of this political stratification and regimentation, it, it might seem a little intense, um, but it's important to remember, as Evan mentioned earlier, that Japan is, is relatively small and has an even smaller amount of arable land. So the vast majority of the land on the island, it's rocky and it's unsuitable for farming. So there's a relative lack of natural resources, and the society that ends up developing by this point is extremely ordered and structured, um, which allows for optimal use of land and resources, but there's not the same kind of uh, idea of like personal liberty and freedom that... You even would see in, like, certain European countries at this point. Like, yeah. people are very much expected to fulfill a certain role, and if they don't, there is a class of people with swords who will just cut the shit out of them until they figure it out. Like, yeah. and that's kind of just the way it is. Um, but the upside to this, if, if you can call it an upside, um, the other side of this coin, let's say, let's not call it an upside or a downside, but the other side of this coin is that despite its small the size, Japan... Up. What? The side facing up. Right. The side that's facing the sky, but we won't... 
quantify it, um, is that even in 1464, um, Japan can support like a relatively large population. Um, they have big developed urban centers, uh, especially compared to all their surrounding nations. So yeah, maybe in China, you're going to have cities that are a little bigger, but like you look at, a, at an island nation like Japan with nothing and they've got cities like Kyoto, which at this point had like 500,000 inhabitants or something like that. Don't fact check me because I don't remember. I didn't write this down, but there's I, a lot of people I, living have in no Japan. idea. <laughs> there's big cities and, and urban centers, and that's only going to get more and more as the centuries progress. To the point where now, Japan is one of the most densely populated nations on Earth. Tokyo is the largest urban center on the planet. And, uh... Yeah, they're, they're the, the, like, their entire population is basically cities. Yeah. 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 I mean, there's, like, very little unpopulated land. Yeah, there's not a lot um, of Japanese suburbia. And much of that, even to this day, is owing back to this era um, of strict samurai rule. So we're going to go back to what we started the episode talking about, uh, back to 1465. The Onion War. The Onion War, exactly. <laughs> I thought that when I, op- when I opened these notes at first, at the beginning, I thought that's what it said. <laughs> I wish it was the Onion War, dude, because it makes me cry every time. Yeah. Every time I read about it, bro, it brings a tear to my eye. That's the onion God, the onions in the God damn, man. Why couldn't they disrespect the authority of the emperor, bro? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we're talking about the Onion it's War. emperor, man. The Onion War. Um, there's a lot more to discuss to gear us up for episode two. We're already sure, past sure. an hour. Um, so I'm not going to go super nuts. We're actually not going to like dive deep into the Onan war. Um, yep. cause this is mostly to gear us up to talking about my three favorite fellas. And we're not really going to talk okay. about them too much in this episode. You're going to mention one of them, but the next two episodes are going to be totally devoted to like cult of personality shit. And we're just going to talk about famous folks and what they did. Um, but I want to briefly finish that narrative because I don't want to leave you guys all hanging. And, and we've got to find out what happens to the brothers Ashikaga. So if you remember, sure. uh, Ashikaga Yoshimas is the shogun and he has sure. no heir. Yeah, he convinces, I remember this. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, this is more for the listeners than for you, pal. Uh, he convinces his younger well, brother Yoshimi okay. uh, to I leave. I disagree. Imagine if we just disagree there, bud. All right. That's, okay. Imagine if we just prepared this all to like, like, and now is my weekly attempt to impress Evan with some things that I learned. And you're just yeah. saying like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. Can I tell you? Can I tell you the things I've learned now? Proceed. Proceed. Um. All right. So, uh, <laughs> so if you remember, like I said, Ashikagi Yoshimasu is the shogun. Uh, he has no heir. Uh, he convinces his younger brother, Yoshimi, to leave the Buddhist priesthood and become his yep. heir. And then immediately, yeah, yeah, this, yeah. his wife, Tomiko, uh, gives birth to a son, Yoshiasa. And boom, conflict. So obviously, uh, being samurai herself, Tomiko wants her son to inherit. After all, what else is the point of marrying the shogun if not to have your family line inherit the shogunate? And also, like, she's probably nervous that, like, if her son's uncle becomes shogun well he's so little boy like how safe is he gonna be he might just take him and blap him and like boom there you go like what is she gonna do nothing yeah, you, yeah uh, can't so she's gotta blapping. spring into action while her husband is still shogun so yoshimasu the shogun okay. seeing the potential for conflict uh he actually initially backs his brother as his heir even after he has a son um after all he had spent all this time convincing him to leave his life as a monk behind and yeah. he thinks that the honorable thing to do is to follow through with that Honestly, uh, yeah. Especially since this new kid is just a baby, and like, what if he gets the flu or something? Yeah. I don't know. Listen, listen, brother, I, I'm on your side, my brother. You know, I, I'm on your side, Yoshi, Yoshimisi or whatever. Yoshimi, 
Yoshimi. Yoshimi, I'm on your side, but I gotta convince this baby. Yeah, here's the thing. Have man. you ever it's... tried to convince a baby? They are he unreasonable. Even spe- he doesn't even speak English yet. He's probably gonna puke <laughs> when I tell him. <laughs> he doesn't even speak. Listen, English. man, he doesn't even speak English yet. I can't talk to this guy. Yeah. Listen, like you know, he's have just you a baby. tried to reason with a baby? He's still too, way too interested in titties, man. I just like don't even know how to break him of that. Like, I like him, but this guy he's likes him. He's a fucking titty sucking freak over here. He likes him, likes him, like likes yeah. him, likes him, likes him. Yeah. Uh, no, these titties are nice. Yo, let me suck on these titties. Let me suck on these titties a while. Um. So Tomiko, seeing the writing on the wall, she allies herself with Yamana Sozen, uh, daimyo of the Yamana clan. And himself, he's actually also a former Buddhist monk who had come to power later in life. And yeah. they form a coalition uh, of the Yamana clan subordinate daimyos, and they made it clear that they intended for Yoshiasa, the little baby, to inherit. So Yoshimi, the younger brother of the shogun, uh, had also quickly moved and made his own alliance with the extremely powerful Hosokawa clan, led by Hosokawa wow. Katsumoto. So Katsumoto held the rank of Kanre, which was a title that three specific families in Japan were allowed to hold, and they were the direct deputies to the shogun and his family. And so thus they're massively powerful. They have the lands, the money, and the men to back him up. So he's yeah. strategically appoints this to the three most powerful families in Japan, and they can defend him and <clears throat> just sort of uphold his reign. Uh, did I mention that Hosokawa was married to Yamana Sozen's daughter, Haruko, and was also okay. his son-in-law? So <clears throat> these two opposing forces, there's like a familial con- yeah. connection. So uh, Yamana Sozen, who's allied with the wife of the shogun, um, resents that his son-in-law, who should be his subordinate, according to custom, has now risen to become his superior. And yeah. so there's this like added familial level of just like, I'm not going to let that little shit fucking tell me what to do. It's always a sad time when an uncle and a nephew just can't get along. It's not an uncle and a nephew. It's a father-in-law and a son-in-law. No, no, no. I'm talking about um, Yoshimi and... Uh, oh. Yeah. Yusumasu. And I think at this point... Oh, whatever. There's not even that much animosity there. I think it's just that Yoshimasu uh, and his son Yoshihasa, like, he just yeah. doesn't necessarily like his wife. I think his wife, he's starting to find... Kind of, and he feels like if he were to die and the son were to take power now... His yeah. wife would like exert control, and he would rather actually have like his brother lead the country. Yeah, and then, well, may- yeah, and then maybe the, his the, son. The and bond her. of an uncle and a nephew, right, is is the real casualty going on right now in this conflict. Well, so the other side to his the benefit of his brother being a Buddhist monk is that he's not married, right? He has no children yeah. of his own. So I think, and don't quote me on this, but I think part of the thought here is that. His brother, who's actually of age to rule, should he, he die, will like inherit. And then his heir... Well, no, he would be shogun. Yeah, yeah. But then who would his logical male heir be? His nephew, who's... Yeah. You know, he doesn't uh, yeah, have a male reti- heir. Yeah, see, that, that's that's some uncle magic. Right. So, you know... And so I the, think the that... The older brother, both- his younger brother takes over, and then once the, the younger brother is too old or infirm or something... In comes the, uh, the the elite nephew, right? Who's been who's trained, like, been since groomed, birth. and ready, and loves his uncle. And yeah, but things aren't going to go that way. It's just going to be fucking weird. It would have been like a magical, could have been perfect. Shogun, shogun, it could have been perfect. Yeah, um, just raise the most elite <laughs> nephew possible. So of these of these groups, right? Nobody really knows precisely what they're fighting for. There's just this sort <laughs> yeah. of vague notion of power. Somebody and was dishonored somewhere, right? But eventually. Uh, two opposing armies in the east and the west mobilize, yeah. and conflict breaks out openly. Um, yeah. There were a few pitched battles. A few people's castles got burned down. 
Um, but really, this particular war involves a lot of posturing, um, a lot of defensive warfare. Nobody's super willing to engage on a massive scale because civil war like this just hasn't been a thing in Japan for a few hundred years. And these yeah. aren't like the people, these aren't what their sons are going to be. Their sons yeah. are going to have been raised in warfare. These guys are like, oh, this seems kind of fucked up to do. Um, so eventually, Hosokawa, uh, who's on the side of the shogun, he does manage to capture the imperial palace, and he, quote-unquote, convinces the emperor uh, to side with the shogun's bakufu government. Um, yep. At some point, with tensions between the shogun and his brother growing, uh, this is the interesting part, Yoshimi actually switches sides. So the brother of the shogun switches to Yamana's coalition. Uh, and then the shogun, because of this, now has no heir, so he has to switch his support to his own son being his heir. So both sides just basically flip-flopped who they were fighting for. And, and you can kind of see how that might deflate the conflict a bit. Um, since all yeah, of a sudden, when, when, when the uncle is fighting for his own reign, and then yeah. he's like, no, wait, fuck that. I'm going to fight for my nephew's reign. And then the father's like, well, I got to have somebody be my heir, so I guess well, it's that, that kinda, my son. Well, that really solves basically every single problem yeah. I have right now. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so they just sort of stare at each other with occasional skirmishes until eventually first Yoshimi, the brother of the shogun, um, and then both Hosokawa and Yamana, they just die. And then the conflict <laughs> just kind of over a decade sort of slowly peters out. Um, but here's the thing. The important thing about the Onan War is that it sets a precedent. Yes, so, it is. Oh, much ado about nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it in and of itself. It is not like the bloodiest conflict or ever. You're gonna see like a lot crazier shit as the episodes yeah. go on. Um, but the important thing is that it sets this precedent that the shogunate, while still intact, uh, clearly doesn't possess like the power or the authority that it used to have. Yeah. Uh, the daimyos of the land see that they're way more powerful than even they realized they were. Like especially in relation yeah. to the shogun, they've always had this idea that. Yeah, I don't want to get too uppity because the Shogun could sweep down with his allies and crush me. But if the Shogun's allies are fighting each other and they could all just rise up and kind of shape the landscape of, of, of politics, look at that fat fucking boy. Evan just lifted his cat up to the camera and he's looking fucking chubby and unhappy. No, no, he's very happy. I'm he sure he's happy, but I don't think he was he... like, all right, you've been talking for enough time. I need some love. <laughs> I, don't think he liked, I don't think he liked how you picked him up. No, no, he loves being picked up. So anyway, all the daimyo, you get the gist. They figure, like, hey, man, if they could fucking do it, if Hosokawa and Yamana can do it, like, why can't we do it? Why can't we start changing shit up around here? Yeah. So this is kind of like the last little segment where we're just going to kind of talk about the things that happen in the aftermath of the Onan War, but before what we're going to kind of focus on in Episode 2 and Episode 3, um, which is when the three great unifier, unifiers show up, and we'll talk about them later. But... Um, yeah. So as I stated, the Onan War, it's mostly about setting a precedent. The shogunate is still intact at this point. The Ashikaga shoguns are still in charge. Um, Yoshihasa, the son of Yoshimasu, eventually succeeds his father, becomes the shogun. Um, But more importantly, this this whole thing gives rise to this phenomenon called Gekokujo. I don't know how I'm pronouncing all this shit, but it translates roughly to the low conquers the high. And it basically refers to... Um, this sort of martial meritocracy, which becomes the defining characteristic of the Sengoku era. So for centuries, these established samurai clans had ruled the various provinces of Japan with relatively little uh, little change in the political landscape. However, uh, having seen how (laughs) Yamana and Hosokawa uh, were able to sort of shake things up so intensely in a conflict over national sovereignty, it gives a lot of lords some ideas about who should really be in charge. Um, so during this period, you see tons of subordinate and like previously inconsequential families 
overthrowing their traditional lords who had become kind of compliant and weak over centuries of rule. Yeah. Um, one classic example of this is the return of the Hojo clan under Hojo Suan. Um, you may recall that I briefly mentioned that the Hojo had dominated the Kamakura shogunate as their shiken or regents. Yeah. Uh, but they'd been defeated and displaced when the current shogunate, the Ashikaga, had come to power and placed under the leadership of the Imagawa clan as subordinates. Um, one evidence that the Ashikaga clan was weakening is that now the Hojin under Suan, I'm sorry, the Hojo under Suan, um, yeah. are able to sort of slowly regain their position as an independent power. And the shogunate, who obviously <laughs> yeah. wouldn't like this, um, can't really stop them. And they eventually yeah. retake their home province of Izu, essentially becoming the first clan to kind of really embrace Sengoku-era politics. Uh, and they seized power rather than waiting <laughs> for the emperor to pass it down. <laughs> What's that? I'm sorry, my cat keeps, he's sitting under my chair, and he keeps going, like, sticking his head up. <laughs> what are you doing, bro? To, like, to scratch his head, and then he, like, puts it back under, and I stop, and it just comes flying back out from under my chair. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. Little bastard. No, away, because I started laughing. Dude. He's such <laughs> Dude, a little bastard. The, the, the dumbest look on his face, too, is like, <laughs> like Tim and <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, so another clan which will feature prominently in our narrative, um, mainly in part two, is the Oda clan, um, yeah. traditionally subordinate to the Shida, the Shiba clan. Um, after a succession struggle to decide the next Shiba daimyo, the Oda would eventually break away from their lords and form an independent realm uh, under their new daimyo, Oda Nobunaga, in Owari province. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Nobunaga... Yeah, yeah is a man of massive ambition and even greater ability. Um, and you're going to hear a lot more about him in part two, but rest assured, he's going to start shaking shit up in Japan. Um, his name might already be familiar to you. It's been yeah, used I've, in I've a, definitely heard his name, yeah, Nobunaga. Yeah. It's been used in a ton of like video games and anime and, and whatever, but he's a real person, um, and next week we're going to talk about why he's like one of the most famous people in Japanese history, like bar none. Um, talk about his large ambition. <laughs> Um, but it also, the thing about <laughs> and, the Sengoku period, it wasn't all like underdog daimyo rising up and defying the status quo. Um, there are plenty of landed lords who had remained powerful um, and now saw an opportunity to exert that power over their neighbors, who were also often their longtime rivals just by virtue of like being next to each other. And it's like, fuck that guy over there. I'm my neighbor across the fence. I'm going to fucking get him. Yeah. Uh, the most famous example of this, um, which could also be an entire episode, and actually someday I'll probably like double back in the future and like do an episode on this, but it doesn't lend okay. itself super well to the narrative that I've got like built up for these three episodes. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Is the famous feud between Takeda Shingen and Uesugi Kenshin, um, which is considered one of the most legendary conflicts of this entire period. But neither of these guys end up being like. <laughs> They both end up like knocking each other out of the picture, and like things just kind of move on. It so, is like, the Hatfield McCoy feud of Japan. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, there's no president Hatfield or McCoy. Yeah. Um, there's so, no devil ants <laughs> Shingen either. So Takeda will probably feature again in episode two because he does fit into the narrative a little bit. Um, yeah. But his nickname is the Tiger of Kai. Kai is his home province, and I just think that's like really cool. And he's yep. going to famously feud with his neighbor Usugi Kenshin. Um, and they had these four famous battles on the Kawanakajima Plain, um, and they're just like legendary like battles in Japanese history between two like powerhouses, and like they're just smashing against each other. And there's actually, so I mentioned this earlier that there's another movie I want to watch, um, this really awesome epic flick from 1990 called Heaven and Earth that's exclusively okay. about Takeda versus uh, Uesugi. But he goes by his other. A lot of these guys have like birth names and Buddhist names and stuff. So yeah. I think in the movie it's uh, Takeda and. Um, Kagetora, 
but Kagetora mm-hmm. is U- Uesugi Kenshin. Um, <clears throat> and it's an awesome flick. And it's, like, one of the best movies about... Because a lot of movies about samurai are actually, like, later. They're, do, like, Tokugawa era. Yeah. Um, and they take place during, like, the twilight of the samurai era because that's really romantic and interesting, yeah. I think. But uh, this is one of the great Sengoku era, like, movies. It's really good. Cool, cool, cool. Um, <clears throat> three other fun things, which we'll expand on further. And this is, like, my last few things I'm just going to kind of mention, and then they'll kind of yeah. become more colorful as we as we go along. Um, first, the Portuguese, your boys. Oh. Uh, oh. Uh, <laughs> uh, they're going to land uh. in Japan uh, in 1453 at Tanagashima. Um, becoming yes. Japan's first contact with Europe. And yeah, they introduced yeah, yeah. firearms to the Japanese islands for the first time. Uh, so, as you know, and probably some of our listeners know, gunpowder weapons actually originated in East Asia. Uh, yeah. But the Europeans had kind of taken them to a whole new level because they just really like <coughs> killing each other. And so suddenly the samurai lords they had, had markets to conquer. They did. And so suddenly the samurai lords had ac- access to arquebuses, uh, which are prototypical flintlock firearms, almost like rifles, but they kind of hold them differently. It's a whole thing. Um, when people think of this period, they think chiefly of men in armor fighting with swords and spears and bows. But as you'll see, uh, firearms are actually going to play a massive part in the Sengoku period over the next hundred or so years. Um, and they might actually end up being like the sort of definitive military innovation that's going to allow traditionally weaker lords to kind of outclass their rivals. Because a lot of these yeah. older lords feel like firearms aren't traditional and then these younger guys are going to be like, I don't know, man. They can blow your I'll fucking head off. So. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't matter if it's traditional. I just shot a fuck ton of your guys. Yeah. So, when um, you, y'all are dead, I'm going to make yeah. them tradition. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and you know what's funny? That's not even what happens. Yeah. The guy who comes out on top immediately outlaws firearms. And why the fuck do you think why? Yeah. You know? So, but anyway, I get ahead of myself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, second, during this period, uh, China is also going to sever diplomatic ties with Japan formally. Um, yeah. There are multiple reasons that lead up to this. We're not going to do a huge amount on it, but I am going to go into a little bit more in part two. But um, it's important to note that coming up, um, as I mentioned, Japan theoretically was still a tributary state to China. And with all the upheaval and everything going on and the way that they're sort of treating their own emperor, China eventually sees them as sort of a volatile threat. And it's just like, listen, we're not going to do this anymore. Um, And then the Portuguese arrive and China's like, fuck that. Mm. And so they they unfriend them and... um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so on the one hand this sort of severs japan from a lot of the continental goods that they'd grown accustomed to like gold like silk um but it's also going to force them to now kind of lean on the portuguese who coincidentally just arrived and the portuguese and the chinese are starting to establish trade as well and so the portuguese are about to get super rich just like ferrying shit back and forth from china and japan um so the japanese come to rely heavily on the portuguese who throughout this period remain some of the only Europeans that they actually still like until the Portuguese start sending Catholic missionaries, which they don't care for, but we'll get to that yeah. later. Um, also, and, and lastly for today, what'd you say? Then they get more into the Dutch. Yeah. Well, cause the Dutch Fran- friendship to... ended with Portugal. Now uh, Holland is my <laughs> now, best friend. Now Holland is my best friend. Now <laughs> Mudasir is my best friend. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the, the, the Dutch don't try to convert them cause the Dutch become Protestant. So they're just like, fuck it. Like, you yeah, guys can cares? do whatever you want. Just we we just care about money, silver, man. Baby. We're just here for the money, man. <laughs> um, so lastly for today, this period is also going to see the rise of the Ikoiki, which are civilian paramilitary organizations. Um, they p- crop up, and they're just like opposed to samurai rule. They're like proto-revolutionary 
I don't know. Um, they're not <laughs> they're not like communists or whatever, but they're usually Buddhists. Um, and this is when you start to see like warrior monks become a thing in Japanese history. Yeah. And a lot of them begin belong to the true pure land sect of Buddhism or uh, Jodo Shinshu, which um, there's a lot of fucking weird bad shit about it. But also yeah. they do believe that like. There shouldn't be like a, a landed aristocracy ruling over everybody, which is kind of gangster. yeah. Generally, when you call something the true pure something, yeah, they're fucked. There's gonna, they're, be, so, there's gonna be some weird shit. There's the gonna be some that. weird shit going on for sure. Yeah. Um, but they actually during this period they would often like take control of like pretty large tracts of land and hold them for like decades or up to a century, which is another kind of flagrant fraud, flouting of um, flagrant flouting of <laughs> traditional samurai rule. Which is, the reason I bring that up is because, like, it just sort of illustrates how bananas this period is. Like, Japan had been a place where tradition sort of ruled everything. Um, There's this rigidly structured system of ruler and ruled. And all of a sudden, everything's kind of turned on its head. And this hadn't really happened in this this place for a long time. And it lasts for a really long time. It lasts for, like, 150 years of things just kind of being flipped on their ass. And um, in a country as as structured as this, this is going to be, like, really far-reaching. Um, so the smaller eating the big and the even bigger are trying to eat each other. The yep. common people who are like just always forgotten in the annals of history and aren't written about. Um, but they're absolutely bearing the brunt of all this as their fields and their villages become battlegrounds for the elite to act out their power fantasies. Um, and the social order that has defined the delicate balance of Japanese life is suddenly coming under assault. Um, and it's very soon going to become abundantly clear that this is not sustainable. So the conflict is very quickly about to become about who's going to be the next shogun. Because yep. someone needs to fucking put an end to this. The Ashikaga clearly are too weak. We need someone who's strong enough to beat everyone else and who's going to just take control and seize control and be the next shogun, the next military dictator of the country. Yeah. Um, otherwise, there's utter ruination, starvation, and just the total balance of Japanese life you know, on the line, and this whole country could collapse. Yep. Or be conquered from without because there's no weak central government. And you know they all have like these strong memories of the Mongol invasions in, in the 13th century and things like that. And so um, the idea that at any given point they could be assaulted by barbarians, who is everyone who is in Japanese, um, yep. there needs to be a strong central government to make sure that things are run smoothly. So ultimately this task is going to fall to three men, um, each with unique characteristics and skills, who are going to succeed one another over the course of the next century or the next two episodes. Um, and they're ultimately going to proceed in bringing an end to the chaos and unifying Japan once again under the power of a single all-powerful shogun. Mm-hmm. But who's it going to be? I don't know. Choose your fighter. Choose your fighter. So yeah, that's that's episode one of uh, Fuck yeah. Sengoku, and uh, things are only gonna get weirder from here, guys. We're gonna we're gonna start seeing battles. We're gonna start seeing seppuku. We're gonna start seeing sword fights and shit. I'm gonna do a little side jaunts where I talk about, you know, Miyamoto Musashi and like people that maybe weren't like important to the greater history, but that have become kind of legendary. And yeah, yeah. Um, there's just a lot of cool shit to talk about in this time. There's just a lot of fun <laughs> stuff. 
So I hope that uh, I hope that I didn't ruin your interest. I hope I piqued your interest because uh, this is this is some fun stuff. I really love it, and it's all you're gonna get throughout December. (laughs) What'd you say? Yeah, I said yeah. It was a swag episode. Yeah, dude, I felt like it. I felt good about it. Yeah, it was weird. I was just like most of my work today was like trying to figure out like what can I get through today where I won't be going too far, but I've gone far enough where I can like set up for what I have planned for the. So the ne- I have like a, an outline for all three episodes and like what needs to be covered. Yeah, and it was just there's so much to talk about. I had to cut a bunch of stuff. <laughs> like I said, I I wanted to do like another five pages on you know Takeda and Uesugi, oh God. and it's just like nah, like we can't do that. This is an hour and a half. Like yeah, we've already gone pretty long. Yeah, we've gone so. pretty long. Like there's so much to talk about. So there might be later episodes like like far in the future where I revisit some of this stuff and like go into more detail. Yeah. But quick hits. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna hit the fucking uh, we're gonna yeah. hit the big points for this this trilogy. So. Yeah, we're going with the biggest swords. Yeah, <laughs> only only the biggest swords for us. Fucking twenty foot plus. Uh huh. You know it. Yeah. All, All right. right well, well I, I do want to say one disclaimer. Um, if there are any bad songs in this episode, blame Cam, not me. <laughs> <laughs> nah, there probably won't be. Like, I mean, Evan might have some gripes about one specific song, but. I'm going to be playing mostly Japanese artists for most of this, but as you've probably oh. gathered by now, Evan and I are like uh, kind of into heavy music, and there's a lot of really good like hardcore uh, and metal Japanese bands. Um, I'm going to play some some shit from a broad spectrum of stuff, and Evan's a yeah. little more closed-minded than me. Let's word it that way. Hey, what the fuck? No, you are, man. Like I'm about to well, play a bunch of stuff, and you're going to say some of it's bad. You're not closed-minded. Like, I just don't like nerd metal. Right. Yeah, that's that's a pretty closed-minded approach. So <laughs> we're gonna play some stuff he does like and some stuff he doesn't yeah. like, you know. And uh, I like a lot of stuff because I'm open-minded, okay. and that's what you guys need to know about the dynamic between Evan and I. Okay, Evan's, don't listen to this bullshit. I mean, if I had to, if I had to make, a, I'd say Evan is sort of like yeah. you know, like the yeah. musical equivalent of a Nazi. Like I'm not saying he is a Nazi, but he's like the what musical the equivalent of a Nazi. Whereas me, like I'm just like much more like the musical oh, equivalent of like. I'm like a Red Cross World War One nurse. Like I'm just like way more into, you know, helping people, saving people, showing them like cool new things. Listening to really bad shit like Manowar. <laughs> I don't listen to Manowar. Hey, uh, I don't know. I like it's Manowar. Not... <laughs> I respect them, but I don't like sit around <laughs> listening to Manowar. Bullshit. Just like Halloween, dude. Keeper of the Seven Keys. That's a ripper of an album. When do you oh. think the last time I listened to fucking Halloween was? I never no. I... Literally just this morning while I was in the shower touching myself. But before that, it was a long time. <laughs> So, no, Evan doesn't like cool stuff, and that's just what nope, you no, need to take away from this. Evan only likes, like, what Pitchfork tells him. What the fuck? Okay, what have I ever even mentioned fucking Pitchfork? Dude? Never, because if you did, it would give your whole secret away. Oh, God, yeah, my, my dastardly plan. <laughs> to, to just yeah only the, listen the to Pitchfork Pitchfork takeover of the boys' chat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right, well, <laughs> on that note, uh, yep. anything else you want to add? Yeah, no, just uh, yeah, just uh, keep doing the things that we ask you to every episode. Yeah, you Rate guys are us, doing great. Us on Apple, tell your friends about us. Tell your what I don't know. Tell other humans you meet about us. Yeah. Tell uh, that guy on the street who's like, you got a cigarette, and you're like, no, but I have a podcast. I got a podcast though. Yeah, and a if he stabs you, I take no no responsibility for that. Yeah. And I don't listen to Manowar often. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so anyway yeah other than that nope uh just thank you for tuning in once again uh and uh i guess i just want to do another uh uh don't go
Oh, don't gotta do no research. Yeah, yeah. it's gonna be Rest nice, man. Oh. Yeah, you're uh, you're no you're more. you're gearing up for like a nice easy month. So, fuck yeah, I'm glad I can provide it for you. Because again, these are like not episodes I mind writing. This is like my favorite shit in the yeah. world. So, no work here. This is all fun. Yeah, like, I don't I know got if you guys could tell, but I fucking love for this January. Stuff. So, yeah, and we could just go back to one to one. Like I I don't need you to do a yeah. similar thing. In I actually got like a cool idea for when we hit the next year. I'll tell you offline though. Okay. Oh. All right, cool. Well, we love you guys. Thank you again so much for listening. Uh, as we mentioned last week, you made last month like our biggest month yet, and we're stoked on that. We love seeing that the podcast is steadily growing. Um, we aren't like famous comedians or fucking anything. We're just like a couple of fellas who decided to make a show. So yeah. um, the fact that you know periodically every month we see our numbers growing and more people yeah. listening and listeners in different countries – it's like the coolest thing in the fucking world. Yeah. So. yeah, I mean, we literally spread by word of mouth. We did not have online followings or anything when we started this. Oh, and it has I gone actually... From, oh, sorry. Well, I was going to say, yeah, it's literally just gone from the smallest little circle of friends that we have out, so... Yeah. Um, I'd also like to give a, a special shout-out to my cousin Bill, who sent us, like, the nicest message this, this week. Um, I know he wasn't That's feeling super well, and um, he mentioned that he'd been listening a lot, and that was like the coolest thing anyone's ever said to me about this project so um glad you're doing better bill and i hope to see you soon we love you guys and uh and and well i don't know evan doesn't but i'm sure he would if he met you but i love you guys uh, i hope to see you guys all soon so glad you're glad you're healing up um thanks for listening to left unread and we will see you next week peace bye